You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. From 2000, 2001, the economy was such that competition was intensifying. So actual mass media journalism was becoming a commodity, and you had to figure out a way to reinvent, to stand out. Yeah. And what I was doing is I was just had millions of ideas on the go and I felt quite overwhelmed by data or information. And there was a particular article I was researching that was very complicated and I thought, oh, you know, I just cannot track all the perspectives in this article, so I'm going to draw it. So I drew out like a sketch and there was a little ping moment and I thought, wow, maybe I could make, I don't have to write the article, I could just make diagrams. And then I started looking around and I discovered this thing called data visualization. You're not tied to a vertical linear depiction of this information, so it's a bit more enjoyable. You can apply visualization to any topic, any day or any subject matter, anything you're interested in can be visualized and then it suddenly becomes more digestible, more approachable, more memorable. So I'm here with David McCandless, the master of all infographics. You don't mind if I call you that, right? 
I'm blushing a little bit, but okay, go on. So you're the author of The Visual Miscellaneum and what was the second title? Knowledge is Beautiful. Knowledge is Beautiful. And I actually knew about you long before we met because your infographics have this tendency to go viral. Like everyone sees them. And you did this one infographic, which I bookmarked somewhere in here, uh, Snake Oil Supplements. So which, and it was this beautiful page of it was like a hundred or so. I don't know how many supplements you had in there. Like everything from like vitamin D to resveratrol to all these things. And what was actually um, healthy according to research? What was unhealthy according to research? What was just placebo? And uh, I thought that was, you know, for me as someone who has uh, regularly unhealthy but trying to be healthier, I was always interested in what's, what's BS and what's not. And you did all the work on one page. I didn't have to read like thousands of scientific documents. And it seems like that's the beauty of infographics is I could see everything on one page. Yeah. And so, so you were mentioning to me earlier that, well, first off, how did you start into the infographics? Because mm-hmm. it, was it was a big change for you, right? Yeah, I was a journalist, like a print, normal print traditional journalist writing articles. Like what uh, kind of articles? Um, I wrote for Wired. I wrote for The Guardian, just anything I was interested in. But I did some news features. Uh, technology, underground, subculture, that kind of thing. Uh, but that was becoming harder and harder as the web was getting more and more intense. Um, what do you mean by how is the web getting... Wouldn't the web being intense make it easier to kind of see, you know, what subcultures were happening? And- yeah, that's, I wasn't finding it hard to find stories. I was just finding it hard to sell stories because there was a lot more uh, uh, competition, if you like, as a journalist. And the stuff that I was starting to... I was interested in was getting more and more niche as the press was getting more and more mainstream and, and it was all about, you know, what was current and what was topical. I was more interested in deeper layers of things and ideas and how people were seeing the world or not seeing the world. Like, like what, what do you mean by seeing the world and not seeing the world? Well, like I was interested in, um, like in, in the subcultures and in, in splashing around in those pools, there are a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives. They have a lot of, uh, um, different angles on things that aren't necessarily of interest to your average newspaper editor. Like so, what? Well, uh, one of the stories I wrote was around um, uh, like I, I was splashing around in a lot of uh, drug underground drug culture, and I wrote a story about I found a story about a man who had taken thirty thousand ecstasy tablets in his lifetime, and he suffered a whole range of incredible physical mental symptoms that were emblematic at the time of what people were saying ecstasy was bad for. You know, like you took it a lot, you would end up. Um, well, like what, when you talked to him, what was he like? I know I never found him. I found oh. a study about him, uh, but it was just a fascinating um, story about one man's excess and his subsequent dis- being becoming disabled. And that was the only story I could sell from that world into the mainstream press because it, it was a great headline, the man who took 30,000 pills of ecstasy. So, so it's interesting because what year was that? Uh, that would have been... 2000, 2001. So even from 2000, 2001, the economy was such that, you know, competition was intensifying. So, so actual mass media journalism was becoming a commodity and you had to figure out a way to reinvent, to stand out. Yeah. And I, what I was doing is I was just having millions of ideas on the go and I was researching them. You know, you're, I'm a live journalist. I'm researching this. I'm, I'm, I'm backing up this one. I'm, I'm, I'm fleshing out this one. So I had many ideas on the go and I felt quite overwhelmed by data, information, all the things I was researching. And there was a particular article I was researching that um, 
it's very complicated. And I thought, oh, you know, I just cannot track all the perspectives in this article. So I'm going to draw it. So I drew out like a sketch, but then putting this here, moving this right, summarizing this perspective. What was the article about? It was about creationist theory and evolutionary theory, which was at the, hands, at the time were a loggerheads in the press and in the, in the U.S. government, you know, it, the, uh, the creationist movement, evolutionary theory, fighting out in the schools. And it struck me that both camps, they were seen as blocks, but actually they were made up of little sub-camps that you all disagreed with each other. There was a parallel there. So you're saying like even within the creationist camp, there were different camps? Different types of creationism. And they all they disagree with this type of creationism and this type of creationism. In evolutionary theory, there's the punctuated equilibrium crowd. There's the um, convergent evolution crowd. There's all these little camps, and they all have little subtle nuances and disagree with each other. So I thought it was an interesting parallel. But many different perspectives I couldn't track. So I drew this diagram just tracking them. And I remember after sketching this, it's a crappy sketch, but I just think, I remember looking at it thinking, oh, maybe I've done my job as a journalist here. Maybe I've com communicated my understanding of this topic in this diagram. So maybe I had to write the article. As opposed to writing like a book on all the different like, right. subcultures within creationism and evolutionary theory, just one diagram did it. Yeah. And it was a kind of ping, a little ping moment. And I thought, wow, maybe I could make, I don't have to write the article. I could just make diagrams. And then I started looking around and I, discovered this thing called data visualization. Did you do something with that um, diagram? Like, did yeah, it it's in my book. I think I, I think I actually saw it, actually. Yeah. I have a bookmark. So it became one of the graphics that I, first graphics I created. And did people respond to it in a much different way than they respond to a, a normal news article? Well, I didn't release it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think, oh, this is interesting, but I never actually got it commissioned or released it. And that was before I did any infographics. So it wasn't until much later until my book, actually I created a book of 256 uh, infographics, Information Beautiful, Visual Miscellaneum, um, and it was rejected by the bookshops. So I've spent a year, two years creating this book, and I was about to release it in the book. None of the bookshops wanted to take it, but it was too highbrow. Did, they, did um, you get depressed? I was very upset, yeah. Did you cry? I didn't cry, but I had a sort of inner collapse, like I say. I took to my bed for about two hours. Why didn't you alongside... Like, I'm just trying to think what I might have done differently. Alongside of just spending all this time and energy making 250 graphics for a book, why don't you try to get them published individually, like in different magazines or... Because, you know, magazines are looking for content. Right. There's particularly visual content that they weren't getting. Well, it was hard to pitch. Like, I, was, I would go to people and say, well, what are you doing, David? Oh, I've, got, I've got these information maps. I call them information maps then. I've got these information maps of these various subjects. And we're like... You know, and even when I showed them to them, they were just like, uh, we, don't, we don't have a section for that. We don't, we don't know where to put that in the magazine. We don't know where to put that in the newspaper. But like, what, were some of the, what were some of the ideas? Like, some of the ideas were fascinating. I can't believe they wouldn't be interested in, in publishing them. Well, I didn't, I didn't hit such a big wall. I, you know, I very much decided I was going to do a book and release a book. So I, I essentially just created a load and then hoarded them and put them in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of these, some of these in the book are really. So I'm just going to describe some of them in my bookmark. We could talk about, like here's, you did um, uh, a word cloud of uh, what what sites? Some of these websites about books, basically books everyone should read. And so in big letters you have like Catch Twenty Two, Pride and Prejudice, and small letters uh, you have the Good Earth, the Shipping News. Mm -hmm. So and these are kind of like. Uh, what were recommended for? It almost looks like these are books recommended for schools or for by critics or. So this book, this this graphic is a consensus cloud. So instead of me telling somebody this is the books you should read, I took every single Pulitzer Prize winner, every single book poll, every single uh, end of year roundup of the best books, in one compiled them all into one data set and saw which books surfaced 
from all of them. And so that's a visualization of the books that all these independent polls agree on are the best books to read. So basically, it's really funny. So basically, Cash 22 is the one yeah. they recommend the most. And then To Kill a Mockingbird and Pride and Prejudice are second and third. And I like Slaughterhouse Five up there. It's a little more offbeat. Um, and then uh, you have this one, Which Fish Are Okay to Eat? So you have everything from what's okay to eat here. So like catfish is okay to eat. Is that right? Apparently. And then not okay to eat is shrimp. Why, <laughs> why is shrimp not okay to eat? I think it's mostly farmed. So it's about whether you want to eat farmed food. Ah, okay. And then um, what are some of these other infographics here? Um, oh, this one was fun. International number ones. So I guess, so I'm looking at a map of the world. And for every country in the world, they're number one at something. Right. So Russia is number one at abortions. Yep. Well, what does it mean? Does that mean they have more abortions than capita, any other? Yeah, yeah. Oh, per capita. Okay. So like Brazil is number one in gun deaths. I didn't know that. Um, just, I'm just going to let the audience think for a second. The listeners think, what would, what would you imagine the U.S. is number one at, at all things they could be number one at? And give you a few seconds. So... What's the answer? Serial killers. <laughs> I would, why do you think the U.S. is number one at serial killers as opposed to like any other country? That is a very good and big question. I like, like, go into. Like, the U, like the U.K., where you're from, is right. known for the most famous serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Right. Yeah, we started it, but then like everything we start, the Americans just sort of take over and do better. <laughs> Canada, number one for single-parent families. Why would that be? Because maybe they're more... Liberal about divorce laws or something? Perhaps, yeah. Um, Australia, I'm not going to drive a car in, which people can find out why if they buy this book. Um, what was the most unusual piece of data that you got from this graphic? Um, let's have a look. I think, I just remember the, the impetus for this was like, I, I just thought, there's got to be something every country is good at. So I went through all the data trying to find things. I mean, the thing for me is like the biggest country for Brazil nuts is actually um, Uruguay. That's funny. Not Brazil. No. <laughs> well, I guess France is not the biggest for French fries. So what is France the biggest for? Hold on a second. Sugar beet. I don't even know what that is. It's like sugar canes, but it's more of a root vegetable. Um, I have to keep looking at this. I'm sorry. Just for one second. So, okay. Opium. That's Afghanistan. That's actually an old version of the graphic. There's a more recent version I just released last week. Oh, really? The date, the date, uh, yeah. on, your, on your website? On my website. What's your, what's your website URL? Informationisbeautiful.net. We could put, hey, we could put some of all the graphics we mentioned. I could just do a special page and people could see them. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, wait, what country is this where roller coasters are number one? Um, testing my geography. I think that's the Philippines. Okay, roller coasters number one in the Philippines. So, so here's the question I have. So I'm looking at this as a graphic, of, and obviously it's beautiful. It's a map of the world. People love maps. But what makes this different from just looking at a list of countries with what they're number one in the world at? Like, why would this be more engaging? Well, this is nonlinear, so you can explore this map, this information map, if you like, in your own way. You can roam down South Africa. You can go across to Europe. You're not tied to a vertical, linear depiction of this information so it's a bit more enjoyable it's like a roam it's like a walk through the woods it's just find see what you can find you just did it yourself you just explored and find 
countries of interest. So give, introduce a non-linear, non-linear reality. We got it. <laughs> you got it. And but one thing that's interesting, though, I guess I can. It, it makes the brain work harder at finding correlations. So if I'm just looking at a list, then I'm looking at one country at a time and one thing at a time. But here I can say, oh, Asia might be have something more in common, and North America might have something more in common. So there's the other ways I can look at this. I can I can group things in different ways when it's graphic like that. And you get the feeling of discovery when you come across something. So it's like a little, oh yeah. So so I want to go over some of these infographics a little more because they're all kind of kind of fascinating. But when you were making this switch, you're, you're still making the switch from journalism to a completely different career, really. It's kind of journalism, but it's moving sort of the article writing into this design and infographics. And we see now, like I, I saw myself, I took an article I had written six months ago and uh, we did an infographic of the article and that infographic resulted in maybe 10 times as much engagement as the original article. So there clearly is something to it that infogra- people want to consume things in graphical form if they can. So, so again, did you start publishing these uh, with magazines or did you focus on the books or how did it become like a career for you? Well, like I said, the book, I did the book and it was rejected by the bookshop. So in order to get, get some groundswell, I launched a website, I launched informationsbeautiful.net. And the website went supernova. Like I released a few graphics, Billion Dollar Gram, uh, a few other ones. That went Which ones were? There was one called the Billion Dollar Gram where I've taken, I've scraped billion dollar amounts from news reports and so on, which are always reported as self-evident facts. They're just massive numbers that nobody can relate to. Sized them according to certain blocks and created like a big sort of tessellating quilt, if you like, of all these blocks. And it was, that's, that image rose out of frustration I had with a depiction of those. Wait, wait, I, I don't understand that one. So, okay. uh, so, so stories mentioning a billion dollars? Yeah, so like a headline, $50 billion for this takeover, $100 billion sequestered for this, this war. You see these numbers in the press, but what is, is that a lot for a war? Is that a lot for a takeover? You don't know. So I grabbed a load of these numbers in one place and then visualized them as blocks. So scaled the blocks according to the amounts then just interlock them all together in this big tessellating diagram. So you can see relatively how things are sized. You can make comparisons. You can see contrasts. You see them all in one place. Normally these numbers are scattered across multiple sources. You never see them together. Yeah, that's interesting because I think I saw uh, uh, either that graphic or a graphic related to that one where you had like the Iraq war total cost was about $3,000 billion. Um, and then something else was, you know, ten billion. So ten billion is still a lot. But it was like nothing compared. Then you see it in graphical form. It was like a dot compared to the Iraq War. So what was another graphic that you put on your site? That were you starting to sell ads on the site, or was the site? No, it's just a rootsy. Just it was literally a WordPress blog. I just took them up there because I wanted to get a bit of following. I put one. Uh, there was a left versus right graphic, which was a political concept map showing how the ideas of the political spectrum percolate down from government into individuals and back around the cycle. And it's a visualization of people's ideas. So, and it's, it's good to see the difference between left and right. You might intuit what the left stamp on the right stamp, but seeing them in contrast and comparison just highlights the differences. And it looks kind of beautiful. It's a flowing a flow chart. So again, how come I couldn't just see that as two lists? Like here's what the left believes, here's what the right believes. So pro-choice, pro-life, mm-hmm. uh, pro-war, anti-war, or whatever. Well, yeah, you could do it as a list, or you could. But this is structured and it has, a, like I said, it has like a graphical flow to it. So it's an enjoyable journey through the information. Like it's, and it's sort of beautiful. So it draws you in. You might not look at a bare list; it might be kind of boring to you. But a beautiful image that you see from afar or see in a book, and you look closer and you get engaged. So the, the visualizing something just makes it more engaging, more attractive. 
And so were you finding that the traffic was exploding because people were sharing the graphics like with their friends or whatever? Yeah. So the graphics went, no, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I've never had any kind of response to that to work I've done. I mean, it was thousands of, um, thousands of hits, millions of hits. And then on Reddit and, uh, dig at the time and various other places are going supernova. And I think I'd hit a certain point where there was a feel, you know, there was a feeling that there was a lot of data emerging, but it wasn't a lot of understanding of the data and a lot of information about, it, but nobody could quite link it all up. So this felt like, a, a new opportunity to, to popularize visual communication and, create diagrams that tapped into things that people were really not understanding. So now you have this website getting, generating millions and millions of hits. Um, what happens next? Um, <laughs> well, uh, sorry, are we talking about historically what happened? Next? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry, I was trying to think. Um, so then suddenly the bookshops wanted the book and uh, the book was in the shops and it started selling loads and loads of copies. And it was very exciting. And then uh, I was invited to do a TED Talk, as you do. Um, and I did a TED Talk, uh, and that went super viral as well. So then it, that was another wave, and suddenly it was how, like... How many views are on the TED Talk now? I got two million. Okay, great. Is that a good number? I don't that, know. Um, there's there's 130,000 on my TED Talk. Oh, right. so, so it's... Putting I'm a, on the infographic of TED Talks, I'm a small <laughs> dot, and you're this big block. Yeah. Uh, and that was very exciting. I remember I, went, I was on holiday at the time when they put it up, and uh, I, I didn't have my phone on me, so and then I logged back into my phone on Facebook, and I had like 5,000 new friends on Facebook. As you do. As you do, <laughs> suddenly. Um, so, and then that just became, uh, it was great, it was very supportive. And I got very enthusiastic, and I just, but I, all the time I was just creating the work. I just wanted to just make work. So I managed to be able to turn off my day work, which was like just being a normal journalist, and just dedicate my time to create more and more images. And uh, were you, you know, how did you start uh, kind of reinventing career wise? Like, how did you start making a living doing infographics? Uh, I, mean, well, I, I guess the book was selling, but. The book was selling, um, but I had to earn out my advance. So. Uh, what, what happened is like every single company started knocking on my door saying, can you do this for us? We've got lots of data. Can you just magic, you do the magic thing to our data and make it look like this? Like who? Stuff. Um, GE, BBC. Like what would GE want to, like how, what would GE want? They wanted to, to illuminate a lot of the stuff they were doing around uh, eco actions and products they released that were very cool but nobody could really understand them or they were very niche and they wanted to see them visualize, they wanted themes around those products visualized, so mm. did some nice work with them. They were very good to work with. Would you ever get, uh, let's say you put a lot of, so you're taking all this data and you're kind of conceptualizing how the design should look and you're putting this infographic up, would you ever get upset if you put it out there and people were like, eh, not this one for us? Uh, not so much that, but I, what really upset me is when I got something wrong, and I did occasionally get things wrong. Like when? Um, I remember when the remember the Icelandic volcano came out, and we did this. I did this image of like, is because the volcano was spewing huge amounts of CO two, but the flights were being grounded. So, you know, were we actually at winning here? Was were we actually saving the Earth because it was less CO two from the flights, or was the volcano releasing so much CO two that it was actually you know constant? Was it the first carbon neutral volcano? Basically, that was the question. And we did a lot of research, bank, did a lot of calcs, and we missed a zero. 
uh, in the calc and released it, and it went viral, 6,000 tweets and all this. And then we noticed the error in the calculation. It was just like... So it was just a kind of mortifying moment. It's horrible to get something wrong as a journalist. It's really horrible to see that error circulating round and round and round and round. What'd you do? Issued a correction. Ah. 29 retweets. And uh, what did the correction say? What was the determination? Uh, it was a first carbon neutral volcano. It definitely was. That's interesting. It was, yeah. just, uh, it was grounding the flights. Uh, didn't change. No. Global warming at all. No. So, so you mentioned earlier, and we started talking about it, but how... Uh, do the process of doing all these infographics and getting all this data and kind of condensing them down to this uh, e more easily understandable form has made you less anxious about the world or right. life or whatever. What 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 about that made you less anxious? Well, a lot of the graphics stem from um, feelings that I have, like maybe I'm, I feel uh, like I don't understand something or I feel ignorant, driven by my ignorance, or I feel anxious about something and I want to understand, get some data and see if it's real. Like what, what's something that you get anxious about? Uh, like flying, flying was a big thing for me, like uh, plane crashes, flight safety and so on. So I created a bunch of graphics around that and I took every single fatal air passenger crash of the last 20 years and examined the root cause of each one. And was it human error? Was it mechanical error when it occurred? What airline? What time of day? What destination? Slicing, dicing all this data to try and find out if there was a pattern or there's some way I could minimize my risk. Um, but what I found is that air travel is just getting safer and safer and safer. There are less and less uh, crashes, less and less mm -hmm. fatalities. And although every crash is big and it's in the media and it feels fearful, it's actually they're getting smaller and smaller and more and more reduced. So I could it's kind of like relax, just I, accept. I think I saw um, there was a graphic that I bookmarked in this book, um, Dangers of Death. Oh, yeah. So I, I, said, I guess this, so you have all these circles one's big each one's smaller than the one next to it so dying from any cause everybody dies so it's, well, there's a one in one chance you're going to die from some cause right then heart disease is the next biggest circle so there's a one in three chance then cancer there's a one in seven chance someone's going to die of cancer mm -hmm. stroke um one in 23 so were there anything was there anything here there were some things here that surprised me like Freak lawnmower accident. There's a one in fifty-three thousand chance I'm going to die from a freak lawnmower accident. Apparently, yeah. Um, this is a weird one. I don't know how you get the data for this. There's a one in seven thousand eight hundred ninety-five chance that I'm going to die from passive smoking. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they get the data from that. A lot of this data came from insurance company ratings, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, suicide one. So one in nine thousand three hundred eighty people commit suicide. Say that again. One in 9,380 people. 9,383. That sounds about right. I wonder, it, it seems interesting to me to do that across, um, I, I would like to see that uh, uh, correlated against the stock market. So are more people killing themselves right. when the stock market's down or when the stock market's up? Seasonal or if it trends. doesn't matter, yeah. yeah. Or, and also, the you know, sex, age, everything relating to suicide. I don't know, I'm fascinated by suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, one in 78,000 people will die in an avalanche one in 147,000 from a dog attack that's got to be pretty bad yeah it's not a good way to go wait I don't understand this one one in 500,000 people will die from an asteroid impact no so, you've got a chance, one in 500,000 chance of dying from an asteroid impact yeah so like asteroids actually 
I guess small asteroids hit the Earth and yeah, like, maybe like a small pellet-sized one just yeah hits you. All right. So yeah, that makes me feel pretty good. I'm probably not going to die from an asteroid impact. Uh, what other things made you less stressed? So there was plane safety, obviously. Well, working in the media and like being a journalist, there are certain things that inflame get inflamed by the media. So big stories like swine flu, bird flu, Ebola, all these things are whipped up and inject a massive amount of fear. So I tracked a load of these stories that were inflamed and visualized how many times they'd been mentioned as a kind of timeline of media inflamed fears. And then found out how many people actually died from them and did that as a contrasting diagram. And you, if you look, the, the proportion of fear relative to the amount of people that die is vastly exaggerated. So that, that's actually incredibly useful news for an investor, actually. Because I remember when, when swine flu was in the newspaper every day, like mm. this, you know, whoever it is, the, the World Health Organization, may, this is a catastrophic disease. And there was, um, there was a stock at the time, this was like in 2008, there was a stock at the time, or maybe 2009, there was a stock that had the symbol HOGS. And so that stock, which had nothing to do with swine flu at all, fell 20% in a day because of all these media headlines when maybe nobody in the U.S. at that point had died of swine flu. And so, so I guess these infographics are a good way to really see accurately what's happening in all, you know, the news might have been all accurate. Like, yes, the World Health Organization declared this a disaster. So, so that did happen. That was a fact. But actually looking at it in this graphic way might uh, really show what, how to focus on it. And it highlights that there are seasons and patterns in, in the media, and media likes to attach itself to a certain fear. It likes to whip up um, anxiety because that sells newspapers. Like Ebola is a classic example. It's just it's off the charts in terms of media coverage. But what was the actual real danger in the U.S. from Ebola? What's what's uh, so right now the the latest the virus of the day is Zika. What's the actual danger? Do you think um, that one's quite high, but it's beginning to lessen. Had, didn't have quite the right profile for a medium flame fear. It wasn't quite, it was, you know, nasty, but it wasn't quite personally threatening to everybody. It didn't have that sort of, you know, Andronomous strain kind of vibe where you think this this alien alien virus is going to come and take take kill you or infest your animals or whatever. Mm. So it didn't have the right kind of profile to go massively supernova. Mm. But it, you know, it's quite big, quite a big spike. Um, I like uh, these this Google Insights infographic. So I guess you. Um, Google had a section where you can see the uh, rate of searches on different terms. Mm. So you compared beer versus wine. So many more people search wine than beer in on Google during these during these years. Tea versus coffee was about the same. Uh, marriage versus divorce started out in two thousand four. Kind of marriage was much more than divorce, and then they kind of started equalizing by two thousand nine. Why do you think that happened? Uh, maybe it's like Canada, just the liberalization of this um, of, uh, of the rules around relationship. I'm not sure. Maybe also the economy got bad around 2008. That's true. And so maybe less people wanted to get married because divorce sort of stayed the same, but marriage went down. Mm -hmm. So maybe less people, and also less young people are getting married probably. That's probably true as well. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and 
I loved it. I loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do. But I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just 
Just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Microsoft versus Apple. Of course, Microsoft started off high, and then now Apple even surpassed it a little bit at at different points recently. Chocolate ice cream versus vanilla ice cream. I'm always... (laughs) I'm glad to see this because people always tell me chocolate's better than vanilla. I'm a huge fan of vanilla ice cream. Vanilla, wait, what, what are the spikes? So it seems like every year vanilla has a huge spike over chocolate. Summer. Ah, so in the summer, people like vanilla better than chocolate? Yeah. Is it more refreshing or something? It must be. It just feels so much better on the tongue. Actually, the good thing is we don't even have to know. This, is, this actually is what, what people searched on Google. Uh, so this this right. tells us, we can come up with whatever story we want, but this tells us what happened. Mm-hmm. Britney Spears versus Paris Hilton. Paris had a couple of spikes in 2007. What's this last one? Oh, YouTube versus, YouTube versus sex. This is a great one. So sex in 2004 was obviously much higher than YouTube. And then YouTube spikes in much higher than sex. Magnitude's higher. Why do you think that happens? Because YouTube's better than sex. <laughs> oh, wait. You had another infographic. What's better than sex? Uh, I don't know if I, I, I don't remember where that one was. Did I have a graphic? Yeah. Oh, that might have been in the other, in the new book. You definitely had that graphic. You basically, um, you started off with the Google phrase, what's better than, and then all the things up you put in like either a word, you didn't put it in a word cloud, but you kind of emphasized what were the more prominent phrases mm. that were better than sex. So what were some of the examples? Do you remember? I don't remember. I had to define that, that infographic. I'm telling you all about your, your own infographics. It's nice to be reminded. And then, you know, in some cases, of course, it's not just this and that. You have colors and the, the depth of the colors signifying different things and the, the size of the words signifying different things. Um, yeah, it's like a visual vocabulary. So you're with visualization, you're able to take data and information and encode it in visual language that the reader can then decode and understand. And because visuals, patterns, colors uh, are more natural a vocabulary to the eye, to the brain, it's actually a very rapid, direct, interesting, attractive way of communicating information. It's enjoyable to take all this in. Yeah, and and, uh, there's a lot of information. So, So, for instance, you have this one on alternative medicine. So, on the left hand side, it ranges from uh, there's no evidence to strong evidence. So strong evidence is acupuncture. No evidence is aromatherapy. What do the size of the circles uh, signify? The size is popularity, so general popularity of a given alternative treatment. So for instance, um, aromatherapy is 
a lot more popular than biofeedback, even though there's promising evidence that biofeedback uh, might work. And uh, what about the colors? The colors signify kind of what kind of, whether it's natural substances or mystical alternative medicine or... Body uh, therapy. Yeah. So, so you have all these different kinds of ways of reading the data, as opposed to if this was an article, it would be unreadable. Yeah. And kind um, of boring. Yeah, because then what, how much evidence on acupuncture? Why do you, how are you defining it as, uh, I guess, energy versus, you know, body or whatever? And then, you know, how many people are interested in it versus all these other things? That's interesting. Chinese medicine, there's conflicting. I, yeah. I always thought Chinese medicine, there was evidence, but maybe not. Yeah, for some, I think for some treatments there are. Uh, such a big body of knowledge, Chinese medicine. What's the, what's the bot? So the left axis I said was uh, uh, no evidence to strong evidence. What's the... That's alphabetical. So you, oh, okay. The horizontal axis is alphabetical, so you can find things in the data set. Oh, yeah. And then here's one. Um, we actually took this picture a few months ago. Uh, uh, most common breakup times. Uh, this is a great infographic. So, A, why did you make this infographic? <laughs> Well, it was personal interest, but is there a pattern to breakups? Like, is there a time of the year when breakups are more likely to happen? So we scraped thousands of Facebook status updates, and we found a pattern in the data. How did you get all the status updates? Well, at the time, Facebook had a tool called Facebook Lexicon, which allowed you to search Facebook status updates and derive data from it. It was only on the site for like three months before they whipped it off. I think they realized how powerful it was. Wow. So do they sell data now? Like you could, they could make a lot of money selling big data. I think they have an internal tool that probably does this. Hmm. Yeah. So so okay. Uh, did you figure? Okay. So what are the what are some of the dates that are the, the worst breakup time or the the most common the most popular breakup times? Well, there are peaks twice a year. Once around about Easter and then three or four weeks before Christmas. There are little mini peaks every Monday, and then there's a flattening out in the summer. Flattening out in the summer. We're thinking, you know, you want to be young, free, and single in the summer, right? A little clear out there. Um, there's a mysterious peak around April Fool's Day when that trick you played really went wrong. Uh, Mondays. Do you think before, that? Do you think that's why if there's a peak around? So again, we don't know. We, we don't just know, know that the yeah. breakups happen around right. the first we have to be careful because we don't know. Uh, Monday, people come out of bad weekends. Maybe update their statuses on Mondays, and then the lowest day of the year is actually um, Christmas Day. So nobody breaks up on Christmas. Who would do that? <laughs> but it well, seems no, it's not actually zero. Right, it's not zero. But then it goes back up again. You know. January 1st, but I guess not not that much. It keeps going up until Valentine's Day, so people, or, or until spring, it keeps rising. Why do you think it keeps rising until spring? Well, the sap is rising in spring, isn't it? You know, the, the encouragement to just go out into the world and be young, free. So people are figuring all along the way, well, I better be single before spring, so I've got it. So depending on the coverage of the person who's doing the breakup, you know, that's why the line's going up until finally spring hits and like they all clear out. <laughs> Everybody who was on the fence is just done. Yeah. Uh, does this give any advice like, oh, I should probably shouldn't argue. Uh, so it looks like a big peak two weeks before the holidays, I guess, because then you're either going to your, you know, spouse's family's house or not. And so, so this is probably a good time not to argue with your spouse uh, during these peaks. Um, all right. Let me find some more. They're also interesting. I had a whole bunch here. Oh, here's the what's better than sex one. Bam. Wikipedia? No. Food? No. Wait, where's sex? Oh, sex is up there, so nothing's better than sex. But there's what people were searching for. Porn almost reached it. Um, the, and the weather almost reached it. Um, and that's based on Google searches? Yeah. 
Oh, I thought this one was really interesting. So there's that game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, is that any other actor uh, is connected to Kevin Bacon through six movies. So they were in a movie who, who, with somebody who was in a movie with somebody who was in a movie with someone who was with Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon basically is connected to every actor within six movies. So you are showing in this infographic by the size of the faces of these actors, which actors are actually be- better or more connected to more actors in fewer connections. So I guess number one here is like Rod, Rod Steiger, Steiger. Mm-hmm. See the Twilight Zone guy? I think so. Christopher Lee. I don't know. I don't even know who Christopher Lee is. You know who Christopher Lee is? He's like Scary Man. He's in a lot of horror films. Okay. Maybe so a lot of people when they were starting out, they were in horror films. Yeah. So they co-starred with him. And then uh, Dennis Hopper. He wasn't even in that many movies, right? Yeah. Um, he goes back. He goes way back. This is from a deep analysis of IMDb. So he did a whole full, full network analysis to find out people that were better than Bacon. Well, I guess anybody who's in a movie with Rod... Steiger or anybody who was on the Twilight Zone is connected is going to be higher than Kevin Bacon. I think that's Rod Sterling. I don't think oh, Rod, Rod Steiger. Yeah, 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 you're right. So I don't even know who Rod Steiger is. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to look him up. Orson Welles is up there. So, so it's funny. Orson Welles is 15th on the list, and Kevin Bacon is actually 1,094th on the list. Mm-hmm. So he's he's almost the worst Kevin Bacon out there. <laughs> Donald Sutherland fourth. Gene Hackman twelfth. All right. That's a good one. Um, oh, here's an interesting one. You did an infographic of cosmetic ingredients from shampoos, suntan lotions, soaps, cleansers, and lipsticks. And then by co- you list all the ingredients and in all these different um, cosmetic ingredients, I guess. And then by color, they go from good to deadly. So, and then I guess by size too. Yeah. So, so what's DMD hydantoin? Uh, I don't even know how to say it. I don't know what that is. I just know it's bad. But if you see it on your lipstick, you then you're in trouble. <laughs> and butylated hydroxynisol. I can't even say most of these. Why would they put boric acid in any of these? Doesn't sound good. But it's not as deadly as some of these other ones. There's a lot of deadly. Boy, it's hard to, like, got to watch out. And I bet you a lot of these come from lipsticks. That's what I want to know, as, as opposed to shampoos. So, because I want to know if I'm safe from all like the deadliest, the deadliest of these. Um, here, you know, what? I didn't book the market this one, but this is interesting. Um, things that'll give you cancer. So you rate these from probably okay to nasty. This is according to the media. So the media always has a story. You know, this causes cancer. And next week is another thing that causes cancer. So this is tracking all the things that the media claim cause cancer and how many actually do. And so, but then you ha- you also have them coded by color. No risk, maybe a risk, definite a risk. Uh, wh- where do you get that data from? So that's scientifically researched. So 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 there's kind of a so the words come from the media, and then the the weight of the words is determined by scientific research here. So again, would be an utterly boring article, but as an infographic, I can see right away that asbestos definitely a risk. Um, uh, let's see what I'm surprised about. Kissing, no risk, I guess, that color. Hmm. No, it's just a highlight. Ah, okay. Um, smoked fish, pretty good. Uh, uh, wait, water? Oh, I guess water if it's contaminated. So what? water is, is definitely a risk. 
<laughs> unless you check it out, I guess. Yep. Water is, is just as dangerous as gasoline. <laughs> so I wonder, so the scientific research, what, are they, what does that mean? Do that, does that mean that just as many people die from contaminated water? I guess that's true. Like if a, if a plant was dumping in a river right. and people drank the water, they got cancer. Um, what are some of the other ones here? Doesn't this make you anxious thinking all these things like what, like, like water is just as bad as oxygenated gasoline? That makes me anxious. Yeah, I think so a little bit wobbly. It, it, water is just as bad as stress for causing cancer. But sunscreen does not cause cancer. No. Um, good thing toothpaste doesn't cause cancer. All right, here's another one that I thought was interesting. So based on the size of the mug... Um, how much caffeine is in different kinds of coffee or Coke or whatever. So I always thought a can of Coke was as much ca caffeine as like a cup of coffee. But where's, where's Coke here? Here's Diet Coke has 47. So yeah, Diet Coke has 50. Yeah, 50 milligrams or something. And then regular coffee has 200 milligrams. And decaf has 8 milligrams. So still a little... A little calf and decaf. Mm -hmm. Green tea. I always thought green tea was the same as coffee. 60 milligrams versus 200. A bar of dark chocolate, 75 milligrams versus 200. Ah, this is interesting. Instant coffee, 85 versus regular coffee, 200. You have to remember that. I really want my caffeine. Most edited Wikipedia pages. And this is as of what day? 2008, 2009. Yeah, I mean, you got a first edition there, so that doesn't go back. There's a more updated version on the website. This is quite a good one. Articles of all the most edited Wikipedia pages because there's a whole hidden culture war that goes on in Wikipedia. It's various people battle over the depiction and the explanation of things. And like the page on hummus, for example, is a massive battle in the comments field between Lebanese people, um, Israelis, and the Arab Arab culture who all claim to have invented hummus. So they have they're having this long ranging battle in the in the discussion pages of the Wikipedia page over over this the ownership of this. And are the words weighted by the um, kind of conflict or the number of or the number of changes? So, like for instance, Jesus is weighted more than yeah. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, um, that's funny. So Freddie Mercury though is one of the most edited Wikipedia one of the most edited Wikipedia pages because. People don't know whether he's Iranian, Indian, Parsi, or Azuri. Um, the Death Star, 120 kilometers or 160 kilometers in diameter, I guess. Massive war over the width of the Death Star. <laughs> and why is Avril, I don't even know how to say her name, Lavigny? How do you say her name? Levine. Levine. Why is that, uh, oh, I'm with you, or... It, over the capitalization of the word with and the song title, I'm with you. So there's over 3,300 changes, mm -hmm. just, and that means they're changing back and forth. Wikipedia should kind of cap that somehow. Is there any solution? Well, it's kind of fun. Why not? Yeah, Let's right. They get, more, they get more page views. Ann Coulter, almost as much as Jesus. She's got 7,696. Was she born in 1961 or 1963? I don't know. Star Wars. Slight, only slightly bigger than Ann Coulter. So yeah, that is much more interesting as an infographic than as an article. I think the whole issue of how do you make a website go viral kind of suggests that people should focus more on infographics to communicate information. Yeah. 
like I said, it's more intuitive, it's quicker, more memorable. There's a real appetite for it. And it's been around for years. I mean, infographics has been around since the 1800s. A lot of very ancient graphics. What was the first infographic? I'm not sure, but one of the most popular ones, the most famous ones is a Joseph Minard from 1860. You've seen it? It depicts the march of Napoleon's army to um, uh, Russia and its subsequent retreat. And it's just this beautiful hand-drawn painting that shows the tragedy of the campaign as his soldiers get narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And then the retreat gets thinner and thinner and thinner as he loses hundreds of thousands of men in this ridiculous campaign. I see. So there's a lot of information. So it's interesting. There's a lot of information in a very simple format. So you have a map, so you can see the trail that Napoleon took, mm-hmm. which could have just been a line. Napoleon went here, and then he went back here. Mm-hmm. But now there's more information, which is the size of that line determines how many people were alive. And so you could even see probably where the major battles were fought, where uh, or where they camped for the winter. Um, and Minard also folds in the t- average temperature at every stage, so mm-hmm. you can see how the, where the temperature gets drops, all these soldiers just die. You know, like hundreds of thousands just die. It's terrible. I like this one here. So I guess the average lifespan is 77.8 years. So you have circles signifying what do you do during the most, during those 77.8 years. So obviously the biggest circle is sleeping. We spend 28 years of our life just sleeping. Um, but I like some of these smaller circles, like uh, reading takes up one year of your life. Like one entire year is just sitting around reading. Um, caring for others is also reading. How do you define caring for others? Just generally looking after them, parenting, you know, stroking their brow. Watching TV, though, 8.5 years. So 8.5 years of my life, which is probably true. I'm a heavy TV watcher. 8.5 years of my life is going to be spent just sitting in front of a screen watching TV. And there's all sorts of apparently negative, probably cancer-causing effects of that. Do you want to look through the website? Because the website has got more recent stuff. And it's a bit more browsable. So, okay, we're looking at your website and um, this infographic based on a true story. So where did this come from? Well, I love movies and I love based on a true story movies, uh, but I hate being conned. So this is a scene-by-scene, beat-by-beat analysis of the biggest based on a true story films, the big short, spotlight, bridge of spies, imitation game, and so on. So we went through literally every single scene and created a barcode, if you like, um, red indicates um, false scenes, blue indicates true scenes, and the in-between colors are like truish or false-ish, depending on the pedantry setting. So you can, it's an interactive, so you can set a different pedantry level, whether it's, come on, it's movies, or I can bear some dramatic license, or just show me the absolute truth. So it's black, everything's black and white, only a very absolutely true scene. So, so The Big Short, which came out in 2016, it's 78% the raw truth. If you go raw truth. But if you allow a little bit of dramatic license, it actually goes up to 91%. And disturbing. But what's really disturbing is, I mean, so many people love the movie American Sniper and assume that was just true, like how things are happening in Iraq. And that's only like barely about 50% true. Right. And the imitation game, which basically says World War II was won in, by this guy who comes up with the, the, the Enigma machine or whatever, that's only 41% true. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a terrible travesty of the historical record. Even the characterization of uh, uh, Turing is wrong. You know, He's characterized as being this sort of... Uh, like Asperger's. He was a very gregarious, very sociable guy. He was a little eccentric, an English eccentric, but he was no way an Asperger's. So, 
So most of these are okay. Like the King's speech, 74%. The Social Network, 76%. What was the most egregious example? Selma, 100%. Mm. Um, true. So do you have a... Yeah, we can sort by most false. Sort by most false. I think we always discussed it. The imitation game. American Sniper. Dallas Buyers Club, pretty not true as well. 61%. But a, a spinal truth, but a lot of, a lot of dramatic license there. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, pretty true, 80%. Yeah, I guess because that's like just like a single thing that happens and then the cops go after him. So it's a little, it's a little harder to, to fake. It, it, you know, things like the Wolf of Wall Street or the social network, that's all in like court documents. Mm. So a little harder. And the imitation game is, is one of the oldest historically. So maybe they took a little more poetic license. Um, only 12 years a slave. Uh, is comes comes from an older period of history, mm-hmm. but that one was eighty eight percent true. Yeah, uh, I thought you did one like this uh, based on a true story with TV shows. Did you like the Tudors stuff like that? No. Oh, okay, maybe I was thinking I wanted that was the other guy. I wanted that one. <laughs> so, what's every cooking oil compared? Because everyone says like different cooking oils are healthy. This is every this is every single cooking oil you could use in the balance of polyunsaturated fats, saturated fats, trans fats, and so on. So you can, and also the smoke points. So a lot of people cook with oils that they should actually just use for salads. So you can destroy the nutritional value of an oil if you overheat it. So what, what am I looking at? Like what's this 84 for, for sunflower oil? Is that that's good or bad? That's monounsaturated, so that's good. Higher the better. Saturated fat high. So the best is like uh, the sunflower oil and avocado oil. And the worst is uh, corn oil. Um, what's that one? Grapeseed oil is really bad. Mm-hmm. Coconut oil is really bad. I always thought that was like super healthy. Well, it's low in monounsaturated fat. It's high in saturated fat, but it has an interesting different type of saturated fat that may be more healthy. The main thing to pay attention to, though, is polyunsaturated fats. So your omega-3 and your omega-6, you heard of those, right? Yeah. So what happens is omega-6 steals the receptors for omega-3. So if your oil has a lot of omega-6 in it, will actually prevent the good omega-3 from being absorbed by your body. So the ratio between the two, omega-6 and omega-3, is really important. You want the lowest ratio between omega-3 and omega-6 in any oil you eat. So so what's good here? Soybean oil? Um, yeah. Oh, sesame oil is great. Yeah. Beef tallow oil? I never even heard of that. Rapeseed oil? I'm not going to use that anytime soon. But that's good, apparently. <laughs> um, hemp oil. Yeah. Oh, uh, flaxseed oil looks like the best. Yeah, 59, 59% omega-3. Wow, i got to start eating with that if I ever cook again. Um, so again, that's something that would be horrific as an article. How would you even write that as an article? You can't. You can't. Because there's so many different ways we're looking at the information there. Too many variables. And you have to visually look at it really quickly. Um, I like this one, top 500 passwords visualized. Yeah, this is good. So this is, uh, you know, when these horrible data breaches occur, the data is often leaked online, which is terrible. But it also means that we can analyze people's password choices. So these are the top 500 English language password and password stems in one diagram. And the cool thing about this is if you examine the, the data, you find there are different categories of password. So, for example, um, you, know, you know, like 
a password or passes, password access as a theme. So password is actually the most popular password. You know, 5% of users use the word password as their password. And then there's alphanumerics, a QWERTY, ABC, one, and so on. So like, yeah, there's 10% of users either use the word password, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or the admittedly higher security, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, as their password. <laughs> so wait, so what's the size of the word mean? So the, these words are different sizes. So the size is how long it would actually take to brute force hack that password. That's so you know, if your password is uh, thx one one three eight or ncc one seven zero one, and I'm sure there are reason listeners out there that know exactly what those are, that actually would be hard to crack. But, so, but if I had this list, I'll just run, run go exactly. straight through this and list. And that's what hackers do. As soon as there's a data breach, they just pull these, these passwords into their dictionary and use it as a, on a dictionary attack. So I, I love the, the nerdy pop password. So NCC1701 is the, is the USS Enterprise from, from Star Trek. THX1138, George Lucas's uh, first movie. Um, good, sir. You're scoring I, high on the nerdometer here. I, I don't know, Rush2112. I don't know what that is either. Maybe a band by Rush. O U eight one two. I don't know that one either. Bond 007, though that's clear. Uh, Gandalf, Matrix, Star Wars, Snoopy. So these are all in the top five hundred passwords. People yeah. actually pick like Snoopy as their password yeah. and Beatles. <laughs> um, There's some funny categories as well. Oh yeah, Rush has an album. Two one one two. Why it? is that the only album though that become a password? Like why didn't why isn't there like a U two album as uh, a password? Uh, it's quite a good category, you know. It's a rebellious and rude category, so it's like, uh, oops, turn this on. Trust no one, bite me, whatever. So it's funny. Trust no one is the is the most popular of the rebellious, rude ones. And then you also have one I call sort of macho. So it's like, uh, um, Marlboro. <laughs> Maverick, Harley, Maverick, Mustang. I think I think if you have to use Maverick as a password, you're probably not a Maverick. That's my rule of thumb. Um, and then one called Fluffy, so it's like uh, sunshine, lovers, magic, and of course the the ubiquitous panties, which is in every everywhere. It's one of the yep. most popular passwords. So so okay again. This would be less interesting as a list because it wouldn't have all the information. We were able to look at the data in a variety of ways by clicking on nerdy or or uh, rebellious or you know alphanumeric. Um, it had to be an infographic, right? And, it had and, to be, and, and how popular was this? Like, did you release this anywhere? Yeah, I released it. It was pretty. I think it was pretty popular. What's like the most? What's been the most surprisingly popular page? Let's say in terms of um, uptick in the first three days of release. Um, let me see. Um, I think surprising. Um, well, well, let me ask this. What, what actually is the most popular page on, on your site? What's the most popular infographic you ever did? Uh, I think the left versus right graphic, the political one I described earlier, which charts the concept map of people's different political views. That's probably the most popular. That got circulated far and wide, and it's quite old as well, so it's been around it's sort of in orbit, circulating all the time. And I, I know for me, the one that I've, definitely saw years or at least sometime before we met was the snake oil supplements. Yeah, which is a favorite one of mine. Was that a popular one? Very popular. Because yeah. I, I must have seen it. It must have gotten shared with me somewhere. Yeah. And it's one that we curate continually. So we update it every three months. So it's like a living graphic. It's interactive. Um, you can filter it depending on what you're interested in. What's this one? How much do artists earn online? 
So this is uh, the flip side of the the great streaming revolution. It's great for rental companies and uh, for listeners, but it's not so great for artists. Artists suffer because they get paid an absolute pittance for streams. And a lot of people that stream music don't then end up buying CDs. A lot of the, the money for artists is in physical sales, so CD sales or full album downloads, whereas stream tracks basically doesn't give, don't give them much um, revenue at all. There's actually a better version of this. Let me um, bring it up. How much do artists get like uh, if they sell a track on iTunes? They get about... Like, let's say, so they sell a track for 99 cents. Yep. They get... Um, let's see. Single track download. They get about 70%. So like if U2 sells a track on iTunes, they get about 70 cents and then they split that among all the band members and then do they split that with management and art and yeah, I guess with everything. I guess everyone gets their slice. Let me get, um, there's a different version of this which is better. Oh wait, I want to see this one now. What's the gender pay gap? This is the gap that mysteriously exists between women and men when they get paid salaries and it, it crosses every single job category, every single level of seniority that there is always a gap, sometimes quite a substantial one, maybe as much as 40 to 50% more. So, so, so like it looks like the, at a glance, and that's the great thing about this, you don't have to read the art, any article, at a glance it looks like uh, doctors have the hu- largest uh, gender uh, gap versus like uh, receptionists or accountants or production clerks. Doctors is, is huge. Yeah, we can sort actually by um, gap, so we can see who has the biggest gap. You're right, doctors and surgeons, actually, lawyers. Oh, lawyers. So, the, so it's funny that the ones that you have to get the most educations for, there's the largest gap. Why do you think that is? It's mysterious. I mean, we looked into the whys, and there's, there's a lot of. It's not just a straight patriarchal system. There's lots of other factors. And hidden hidden variables. I mean, people are mystified why this exists so consistently across every single um, work category and discipline. I mean, I could see why it. The one theory why it might exist across every category is that women get pregnant and men don't. So I don't know. Maybe that they they have more years outside of the workforce, and so that results in less pay somehow. But I guess this takes into account equivalent years. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it also education would be seem to create a worse pay gap. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, the overall point is is that looking at things through infographics lead to more questions, allow you to access data in a more uh, quick fashion, and they go more viral. Like how how many millions of hits of your has your site gotten since inception? Well, maybe sixty, seventy million. Yeah, so that's, that's a lot more than most individual websites just putting up blog posts. Like bloggers don't get those kind of numbers. No. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting. What, what do you think you've learned in the past uh, six, you know, seven years of doing this? Oh, well, I've learned to be less anxious about various topics, but I've also learned that um, you can apply visualization to any topic, any day or any subject matter, anything you're interested in can be visualized. And then it suddenly becomes, like you say, just more digestible, more approachable, more memorable. What are you working on right now? What's the, what's the infographic right now that's not done that you're most excited about? I'm working on uh, a political diagram about the popular left and the popular right, which shows how there's parallels between you know, Bernie and Trump and Podemos in Spain and Sarissa and the National Front in the UK and how this movement has emerged. And again, just clarifying and trying to understand the different perspectives. 
on each side, and how it's a new kind of political movement. And what else? And I'm working on a large-scale exhibition of my work, which is called the Data Aquarium, which is like a big, huge screens of various depictions of networks and, and uh, invisible processes around the world. Oh, yeah. when, when's that going to be finished? Good question. Maybe a couple of years. Do you have another book coming out? Yeah. Hopefully next year, a book about data and food. Data and food? Yeah. So kind of like the snake oil supplements uh, infographic, but a little bit about like that. all food? Kind of like that, the cooking oil one? Some of that, but more like uh, how to pair food, how to, how ta- which tastes go with which, you know, using huge data sets to like generate recipes. Hmm. All right, so David McCandless, author of The Visual Miscellaneum, uh, knowledge is beautiful and the information is beautiful.net website. I definitely recommend people check out all your stuff. I look at it. It's all fascinating information, but really I'm selfishly talking to you because I can see whenever I do an infographic on any of my posts, it's much more viral than the post itself. So there is, I've seen it with my own eyes. There's, there's, there's value to this, whether you're an information consumer or producer, uh, it's kind of incredible. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, James. And uh, let me know when the next thing comes out. Cool, man. Thank you. You know, I just want to say thank you to everyone listening to this. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. It will only take a second, but it will help other people discover the podcast, and it will really show people in general that this is a quality show and that it's worth listening to. You can also check out the show notes at jamesaltitude.com slash podcast. Also, if you want to get my blog updates and other updates that I do, sign up for the newsletter at jamesaltitude.com. Thanks again. I really appreciate you guys. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.